0: To Exodus chapter 13, this morning's reading will be verse 17 through verse 22. This is the word of God. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day and a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night and a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people.
1: Uh, We have witnessed the deliverance of God's people by way of God's power. God's power over nature, God's power over people, God's power over an empire, and God's power over an obstinate emperor. That God's will, that was established, saying, let my people go, so that they may worship me, is coming to pass. Just as the Lord had established long, long before this account. Confirming once again, that, Almighty God who makes promises always keeps His promises. Always. Now, as the tenth and final strike of God's judgment passed through Egypt, the firstborn within every household of Egypt died just as God said. And remember, Israel was not exempt from that final strike of judgment. They were not exempt from the stroke of death that struck those Egyptian households. They were spared judgment. They were spared this sovereign act of judgment only by way of shed blood that was properly applied. You know, I said a few weeks ago that the shed blood of Jesus Christ does not provide hope for sinners. The shed blood of Jesus Christ proclaims hope to sinners. The sprinkled blood or the applied blood of Jesus Christ is what provides hope for sinners. One proclaims, rightfully applied, it provides. Now, the Lord's judgment upon Egypt's firstborn goes on and it serves as an explanation for God's claim over Israel's firstborn. If you look back at chapter 13 and verse 15, we read, When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. I redeem. And then in verse 16, this, okay, this truth, this celebration, this consecration shall, verse 16, be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So by ritualistically pointing back to what the Lord did here in the Exodus account, he's also pointing forward to what he's going to do in the coming of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Providing the ultimate redemption. Providing the ultimate Exodus, if you will. Amen? Amen. So as creator, as judge, as redeemer, God makes his claim because everything belongs to him. So by claiming the firstborn in every household of Egypt, he's claiming, I mean the firstborn of all of Israel, forgive me, he is claiming all Israel as his own. So by claiming the firstborn in each household, he's claiming each household, by claiming each household, he calls all of this people as his own. These are his people. He Claims the whole family. Now, eventually, future generations uh, would be redeemed through the life consecration of the Levites. That is the tribe of Levi. So, this, this is a responsibility that will be transferred to one tribe in Israel, and that is the tribe, tribe of Levi that will become and produce the Levitical priesthood. We read in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12, that, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. So the Levites, the priesthood would stand right uh, uh, before God on behalf of the people. Now, having been freed from bondage, having been spared God's judgment upon their firstborn, and thrust out of Egypt, chapter 12, verse 39, they're now more than ever a true pilgrim people. And their faithful covenant Lord is leading them. When God saves, He doesn't leave you to yourself. Yeah? When God saves you, He guides you. So their journey to the land of rest will be long, challenging, and a road that's very windy. The long and winding road. Amen? Now, as sojourning people ourselves, if you're a Christian, you're a sojourning people. You are pilgrims. You are God's pilgrims. We also, as I said earlier, are on a long, challenging, winding road leading to the ultimate promised land, leading to glory. So when God saves his people, he guides his people. When he delivers his people, he is sure to direct his people. And that's what we have before us this morning. So we have to ask the question, how does he do this? How does God do this? Meaning, what are the evidences of his care and his protection for his people? Very applicable message this morning. From the day of your salvation to the entry of glory, what are the signs of his encouragement for you as he leads you, as he guides you, as he directs you, as he protects you? Through this life and through this land and into the next. Ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. Now as you think about that, it's true, you all know this to be true, sometimes God chooses a path on which to take his people that is not always the one that you would choose. (laughs) Amen? It's not one that you would expect from the beginning. It's not the most reasonable way, it's not the most easy way, but he does, no doubt, oftentimes lead us through drama and conflict Accompanying his work of salvation for his people. So, here now from this section of scripture, we we see three proofs three proofs of God's care and protection for his people. And these are applicable for us as, as we too are a pilgrim people. We have not reached our ultimate rest. And it's evidenced by these three things number one is providence, number two is promise. And number three is his presence. His presence. So first, providence. Now, providence of God simply means God's involvement in the world. The word providence has has all but lost its meaning or disappeared from the vocabulary of Christians today. You actually have to define what providence is to Christians today, unfortunately, which I'll do in just a moment. But in times past, believers often spoke of divine providence as directing their lives. Today, Christians scratch, because we live in such a biblically illiterate time, and it really is sad. And that's why we're given here to biblical exposition, because we do not want you to be ignorant of the truth of God. A hundred years ago, unbelievers, I believe, knew more doctrine than believers do today. It's true. It's very unfortunate. Today, believers actually attribute to chance what rightfully belongs to God. And that is his providential rule. His providential care. So the God of Scripture is one who not only sees everything beforehand, which is what providence essentially means. But that's not all it means. Because what he's doing is also actively bringing about everything he has preordained. That is, he's very involved in governing and caring for his creation. He's incredibly involved in governing and caring for those that he's redeemed out of creation. His own people. And he cares about everything that happens to those that are his. Directing all events to bring about his purposes for his people. And that includes you here this morning. To the end of time. We read in Psalm 121 verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. And let me assure you of this. He who keeps Pacific Hope Church never slumbers nor sleeps. Amen? You know what Jesus asked one day in his teaching? He said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, because every one of your hairs is numbered regardless if you have hair or not. <laughs> Fear not, therefore, you are more of more value than many sparrows. So, he cares for his people as he always does in his wise and good providence. That is, in his wisdom. He's very wise, wiser than will ever be, which is to say, God cares for his people and his care for his people always goes beyond what we are able to discern at present. Amen? Far surpassing the limitations of our understanding. And that's why we are called to live by faith. This is why we're called to encourage one another to continue on by faith under the providential hand and will of Almighty God. So, accepting the truth of divine providence, that is that God sees everything and is everywhere active according to his sovereign will and purposes, can be a frightening truth in that man cannot hide from God. On the other hand, his providence serves as a great, great comfort to his people because We know God cares for His people, and if He cares for His people, we can rest assured that He preserves His people as they journey through life. Now, that preservation may not be, once again, what we expect or how we would expect it, but nevertheless, He's sure to do it, and He is doing it. So we can learn from from texts like this to better follow him as we rest in his goodness and in his wisdom. Amen? We rest in it. We trust in it. You know, he, he's going to keep us from tests that are too severe. Too severe. You say, well, you don't know what I've been through. Well, he does. He does. He ordained it to pass. Pass. Well, you know, what about the sins I've committed? Well, you know, we will reap what we sow, right? There's the human side to this, but God is sovereign behind it all. So he purposes in the way he leads us. That's the point. And through it, he shows us his power. He shows us his glory. And along the way, hopefully, our faith is growing. He increases our faith. If you're truly his your faith will grow. This is what he does in his wisdom. Now notice his providential care for his people Israel in this count, verses 17 to 19. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That was the quick, easy route. But he didn't lead them that way. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Okay, so here we see God's loving and wise providence for his people in this account, and instead of leading them directly east and northward, he takes them southward. This would be like going to L.A., you know, via Phoenix. (laughs) It makes no sense. Okay, if I said we're going to L.A. and I drove you to Phoenix, by the time we got, hopefully, to El Cajon, you'd be wondering what I was doing. (laughs) Right? So having delivered them here out of Egypt, God did not lead them on a path that they would expect. He did not lead them on a path that we would expect if we had our little maps open and our Bibles. He did not lead them the conventional, anticipated, logical way. So, the normal, quickest route was by what was known as the Via Maris, the Via Maris way, the way of the sea. A direct route northward, a trade route that moved uh, upward into northern Sinai and into Canaan. That's the direct way. That's the plain way. That, that's the I 5 uh, way, right? To get to LA, I 5. So they're not a, aware of the reasons why here, but God knows. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he did not want them to have to stand before or, or, or go before the very warlike Philistines. He knows that his people are not yet ready for that kind of challenge. So they take the long way home. Also along that way were uh, Egyptian military posts. So he he doesn't take them. The, you know, way of the the via, Maris way. God is ever so wise, amen? So, he knows at this point they'd be tempted to turn back and want to go back to Egypt, back to bondage, back to slavery. And he has here plans that they are not aware of. And also, according to human wisdom, you know, it it would seem foolish to go south because if Pharaoh should decide to pursue as we know he will. They'll be trapped. As they will be trapped. Amen? And we'll see that next week. So here we have God's providential care for his people. He's all wise. And we, mere men, are not. And remember also, God's not done with Pharaoh yet. He's going to drown him in the sea. His judgment on Pharaoh... And his military might, he's not done yet. See, God takes into account account your weaknesses. He takes into account your circumstances, your fears, and your desires. Isn't that something? He cares for his people. And in his divine providential rule, he considers his people while he rules the universe. Follow me on this? We are sitting in my backyard the other day, and my wife says, what is the most awe-inspiring thing to you about God? So I'm serving the, you know, surveying the theological landscape of my mind, which isn't all that broad or deep. <laughs> but nevertheless, I-, I said, it would have to be the condescension of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I said, how about you? And she basically said this, not knowing I was going to even say any of this. She goes that in the midst of ruling the universe, he truly cares for me. Nah, you trump me. <laughs> Thanks a lot. However, he couldn't care for me like that were it not for the condescension of the incarnation. <laughs> <laughs> She still trumped me. (laughs) The point is to say that God is so merciful and kind, in His providence, He takes into account the weaknesses and concerns of those that are His. By way of His providence. So, in His providential leading, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weaknesses of God are are stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1.25, to speak in anthropomorphic terms, to speak in human terms, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, than the wisdom of men. Amen? So, things may seem foolish to us, but God knows in His wisdom, the bigger picture, the future, because He's ordained it. Amen? So He leads as He will. You know, and as man, we we have a tendency, do we not, to underestimate God's power time and time again? I mean, when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances, to realize God's care for us while we're in the midst of them, that His wisdom is always good. It's always right. It's always best. I was heartbroken at the age of 17 by this girl I thought I was going to marry that I am so thankful <laughs> that I didn't marry that woman. <laughs> Amen? Not only because I have my wife here today, but just for other reasons. <laughs> so he may lead us in ways we do not understand. Amen? It may seem like a long route. It may seem like the wrong route. But it's not. He always leads us with his eye on what is good and best for us wherever you are today that truth remains the same amen it remains the same as individuals and as a congregation he has his eye on what is best for his people and the way he leads is best for his glory amen God will be greatly glorified in this coming account and as He will through our lives as well. So this is something we can take comfort and rest in. God has His reasons for the strange paths that He sometimes leads us on. And it's easier to say that. It's easier to teach that um, oftentimes than it is to stand in that when all of life seems to be against you, when the, when the wheels are falling off the wagon. Right? It's easier to say than to do. Therefore, we need His grace to sustain us as we do. Amen. You know there's a great meditation on the providence of God. Uh, by, the, by the hymn writer William Cooper. Who wrote God moves in a mysterious way. It's served as a great companion. For many Christians throughout time. In, in very dark and difficult times. And it goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea. And rides upon the storm. Deep. In unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. goes on to say this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Amen? So true. But to us, you know, the, the quickest and most familiar route seems to us to be the best route. And God has proven otherwise over time as he leads his people on his preordained path. What he has is always safer and better. Uh, You say, what about those people getting their heads chopped off? You know, I don't mean to be brash, but they step immediately into glory. They do. Immediately into glory. And God will be glorified through such barbaric acts as he always has. All of his disciples, but one, went on to die that way. Receiving one form of persecution or another. John ended up on an island, the island of Patmos, for preaching Christ, according to God's sovereign will. Was God with him? That's where he received the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must ask at this point, do I, as a believer, trust in his providential care for me? Do I believe in providence? You're living under it. So believe it. And as we live under it, we must ask, do I believe God is good and wise in the midst of it? That's the question for us. Verse 18. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. That word there actually means they were regimented or they were outfitted in the way that they were moving. They weren't armed here. It's a military word. But here, it's describing Israel as being prepared for the march. In contrast to fleeing in disorder. This is very organized. They went out, other words, in in orderly ranks, but not with weapons. So here, God gives us his will. He shows us his way. And he directs how we shall live for his glory and our own good. Under the care of his providence. So our call, beloved, is to trust in the God who saved us. And that is that the God who saved us will also guide us. And we must believe that his way is the best way in the midst of difficulty. Amen? may not be the easiest. It may not be the most logical in our mind or conventional. But it is always wise. Notice, secondly, we see God's encouragement of promise. First, encouragement of providence. Second, the encouragement of promise. That is that he leads his people faithfully. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Moses with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Okay, now, more than 400 years before this, Israel's exodus, or thereabout, Joseph, against his will, but no less according to the providential hand of God, was sold into Egyptian slavery. Do you remember being here during the uh, Joseph teaching? Joseph, through it all, became a great man, did he not? A great man, he became a great leader... And great in the memory of Israel. He was a man of renown. He was famous. He was an icon in the minds of Israel. So upon his death, at 110 years of age, Joseph gives these instructions concerning his bones. Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry out my bones from here. Okay, this account is referenced in the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. That says by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. That is to say that Joseph believed in the ancient promises of God given to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob. He believed it. He trusted it. And as it was for them, it is for us. Do we believe the promises of God? If we're Christians, we must. Because the promises of God assure us of the God who's faithful. So as the providence of God preserves us, it's the promises of God that assure us. So when your mind is tested with all kinds of crazy thinking, you've got to step back and say, what does God say? Which will be challenged by the age-old lie, hath God really said? Amen? It'll always be, hath God really said? The culture screams, has God really said? Hath God really said? Yes. Thus saith the Lord. Whatever thus is. Now, Joseph couldn't see from his vantage point, amen? He couldn't see how God would bring it all to pass, but he trusted that he would. He believed that he would. Because the God who makes promises keeps his promises. So he could say with confidence, when I die, take my bones and bury them with my forefathers. Bury me back in our homeland. So by Moses here taking these bones as they left Egypt, It means that multi-generations of Israel remembered what Joseph said. John Calvin comments on this, and he draws this conclusion. Quote, In the midst of their adversity, the people had never lost sight of the promised redemption. For unless the celebrated request of Joseph had been a subject of common conversation among them, Moses would never have thought of it. End quote. Another brilliant insight by John Calvin. He was okay, theologian. He was all right. Now, these bones that would serve as an encouragement in remembering about God's faithfulness would also serve in the wilderness as a rebuke to the people of Israel. Whenever the Israelites, at a time in their wilderness wanderings, wandered into disobedience, complaining, whining, Wanting to go back to Egyptian bondage time and time again, right? Saying, you know, we'd be better off had we never left. They won't, they'll barely get to the Red Sea and be complaining about that. We'll see that next week. Joseph's bones would testify at those times. You could hear Joseph's voice echoing I know about the way God works. I know about the way God oftentimes leads. In that he leads by way of very strange paths. But I'll tell you this, he always works out his purposes and they all come to pass. Amen? My whole life is a testimony to that over and over again. The bones would say, my life are a testimony. That God's paths are not the way we think they should be. Over and over again. Amen? Amen? He was betrayed by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. In his obedience, he was wrongfully accused, falsely imprisoned, all in order that he would become the Lord over Egypt. That is second in command under Pharaoh. That was God's plan. So that we could have this exodus. Of a people that would take 400 years of oppression to... Create enough people to make a nation. For through that nation will come the promised seed of Genesis 3. The true Israel of God. Jesus, the Son of God. This is what we see unfolding before our very eyes. So Joseph was placed by God's providence into a position to become Savior to the Hebrews. And to spare Egypt at that time as well. For his greater purposes. So that enabled Joseph to say. With the tongue of trust. What man intended for evil. God intended for good. God intended for good. And his plan was really good. That's what his bones proclaimed. To Israel in the desert. God is faithful. So that is a testimony there. Of Joseph's confidence. Confidence in the providence, the purposes, and the promises of God. A box of bones It still, still speak, amen? So to speak. So they said God is faithful. Those bones said God is faithful, God is trustworthy, and his promises never, ever fail. You know, God's, God's faithfulness is put on display from Genesis to Revelation. Is it not? We see it time and time again. He told Adam and Eve that he was going to send a Savior. And providentially, he prepared the way for his one and only son to come. To be born in a manger. To be born of a virgin. To suffer under Pontius Pilate. To be crucified, dead, buried. To raise the third day. To ascend to the right hand of the Father, to God the Father Almighty, who rules and reigns now and for evermore. Amen? He promised Abraham that he would make a great nation out of him and that through his loins would come that great nation and then here this man who who feared he would die childless God gives him a son in his old age and we see the fulfillment of it right here coming to pass through the nation of Israel. God told Moses in Deuteronomy 18.18 he was going to raise up another prophet like him And that he must be listened to. And whoever does not listen to him, he will require it of him. And then in the book of Acts, we have Peter preaching about this latter prophet. And he said this, that latter prophet is Jesus Christ. And every soul who does not listen to that prophet, says Peter, shall be destroyed from the people. So as Israel... Look to a box of bones to remember the promises of God. We look to an empty tomb. Amen? Again, showing us the fulfillment of God's promises. A risen Savior. So God says it. God does it. He promises. He accomplishes what He promises. He's always faithful to His Word. Amen? You know, He promised to bring... Israel all the way into the land of promise. Did Israel receive every promise of God with regard to the land of Israel? Yes. Yes. Thus says the Lord. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. They took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to what? Thank you. The same Lord... Promises to get you to the land of promise. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? Good. Does that mean everything's good? Does that mean everything's good? No, not everything's good. Not not everything's good. Those, look. Those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified. Those whom He justified, He promises what? Are glorified. It's good as done. It's as good as done. Glory. Indeed. So, whatever pathway He may lead us on, if we're going to learn to follow Him faithfully, the place where we find comfort and assurance and peace, beloved, is in the promises of God. His promises, not an explanation of why we're here or why we're in this circumstance, We don't find comfort in the explanation. We find comfort in His promises that God is always faithful, He's always gracious, and He's always good. Amen? In spite of us and in spite of our current situation. We're not always going to know why. Right? You may not know why until you enter glory. But we do know He's faithful. We can know He is good. And if we want to, to, to follow him faithfully, we must trust that he is good. We must trust in his promises. We must trust in his providence. And that takes a great load of stress, or it should, off, off your shoulders. You know, sometimes I find myself fearing about things I have absolutely no control over. Zero control. Zero. And I've got to go back to the promises of God. I have to run back to the providence of God. Because that which I have no control over, why am I fearing over these things? And make your day all that much more miserable? Right? You lose sleep on stuff you have no no power over. And I hit myself in the head time and time again. Go, you really are an idiot. Speaking of myself. Back to the promises. Back to the providential care, the providential rule of this sovereign God. Amen? Amen? So there's providence, there's promises, the next evidence is his presence, verses 20 to 22. And they moved on from Succoth and, and, and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night, the the pillar of cloud by day and the uh, pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So another evidence of God's caring for his people is the comfort and care of his presence. The presence of God. God's God's providence preserves us. God's providence assures us. And here, God's presence directs us. It's a great form of comfort. Now, Sukkoth here was apparently the meeting place as they came out of Egypt, right? You have all these people having been thrust out of Egypt. We can deduce, I believe, that they needed a rendezvous point. And here... Uh, That had to have been suck off, this rendezvous point. We read uh, in recounting Israel's journey in Numbers chapter 33, verse 2, Moses wrote, wrote down their starting places, stage by stage. By command of the Lord. Who wrote these books? Moses did. By command of the Lord. And these are their stages according to their starting places. They set out from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments, so the people of Israel set out from Ramses and camped at Sukkoth. So this is how we're told that this mass of people, 1.5 million, whatever it was, we we're told here how they were guided. How do you? How do you lead a group like this? Cloud and a pillar of fire. It's pretty simple, amen? (laughs) Pretty simple. This is God's grace, condescending grace once again. The Lord goes before them showing evidence of his care, evidence of his his power and of his presence with his people. This is amazing. Now, this, this phenomenon which is seen here for the first time, will become prominent in, in the wilderness wanderings of Israel. But it's not the first time we've seen it. Back in chapter 3, we, we, we got small sight of it, did we not? At the burning bush incident. A, a, fi, a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. That's the Shekinah glory. This is the manifest presence of Almighty God. This pillar of cloud, this, this pillar of fire is a manifest presence of God. And that will be taken to the next level. It's Sinai. It will reach its climax when God gives His law. And the presence will be too much for the people to bear. Remember? Just the glory shown off the face of Moses would have to be covered. The people couldn't take it. So here's the manifestation. Manifestation that protects God's people because we're going to see when they're pinned in, that cloud, that pillar is going to put a division between God's people and his enemies. We'll see this next time. A division, protection. So throughout their pilgrim journey, he'll lead his people in and through 40 years of wandering by his very presence. Does he care for you like that? You know what this shows us? God is not a God who's out there somewhere. Amen? I'm reading a book on Anthony Flew, the world's foremost former atheist, who just died a couple years ago. And he died believing in creation. He refuted. He refuted naturalism. He refuted evolution. I think it was the study of irreducible complexities or something that I have no idea about. But whatever it was, he, he died a former atheist. Hopefully, in the grace of God, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. But the book is interesting. Anthony Flew. He's not a God out there somewhere, amen? He's a personal, intimate Lord who preserves his people, who guides his people, who gives his people promises time and time again. This is God with us. You know, that was... The, 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 you remember the incarnation, everybody? Jesus becoming man, coming to earth, right? The Messiah, the promised one. You know what the Israel's problem was? That their expectation of God was not merely God with us, but some political militant ruler rather than the intimacy of God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And many times we get caught up in what we want God to give us rather than resting in the fact that we have his very presence with us. Amen? Do we have the Shekinah glory like this? Do we have a cloud, a pillar, a pillar of fire, and a a cloud to lead us by day and by night? Do we? No. Do we have something less or something greater? Greater. Much greater. This this is just a dim shadow of what you have today, beloved. You get this? John said in John 14, or Jesus said in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 3, he makes clear in Ephesians chapter 3 that the manifestation of God's nearness nearness to us now is far greater than this scene. Far greater. This isn't Our lives today aren't less spectacular. What did Jesus say to the disciples? He promised the sending of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I promise to send you the Comforter. Not only will he be with you, he will be what? In you. This is the miracle of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit condescending, lowering himself, not only to be with his people, but to be in his people. Now, I read Isaiah 63 as I close here on this last point. Isaiah 63 that I read, verses 10 and 11, is reflecting on the Exodus, particularly about the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, saying, where is he who put into the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Amen? Did you get that? In the midst of them? Merely in the midst of them. We have something far better, beloved. If you are in Christ, here this morning, the Holy Spirit is in you. The hope of glory is in you. The living Christ is in you. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper. He will be with you. How long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world, get this, cannot receive. When you hear unbelievers say, you know, we all have God's spirit in us. No, you don't. You got a spirit, but it's another spirit. I don't know whose it is or what it is, but it's not God's. I'll tell you that much. You want to deny Christ is the only way? You don't have the Holy Spirit. Your father's the devil. Yeah. Your father's the devil, said Jesus. Notice. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So if you're a Christian here, through faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you are far better off than Israel was as far as being led by God goes. Far better off. You have more light than they had. You have the light of the living Christ. You have the very fulfillment of all the scriptures. He is the Logos. He is the Word of God. And he's sufficient. His word is sufficient for all of life. Amen? Do you believe the word is sufficient to guide you in life? Or do you believe it's the word plus babble? Huh? It's not the Bible plus psychobabble. The word of God is sufficient to lead us, to guide us, to counsel us, to reprove us, to instruct us. Amen? And for righteous living, it is sufficient. I don't need the world telling me what to do or how to think. I test what they think in light of this. Amen? Amen. We have the Spirit of God. He will guide you in all truth. He promises. He lives within you, beloved. And here's the promise to conclude. He will never desert you. As you walk down the darkest paths of life, He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. When you are faced with trials, when you are faced with hurt, with loss he will not leave you. When you're being tempted, he promises not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but promises to always leave the way of escape. Don't listen to those who sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't take in what they spit out. Run for the door. Amen? When you're faced with sexual sin, sometimes the escape is running for the door. He always provides the way of escape. Never to leave you, never to forsake you, and he lives in you. Amen? A greater greater manifestation than, than a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Because all the promises of God, beloved, find their yes... And amen. Firmly confirmed in whom? Christ. He is the yes. So we look to him. We're led by him on our pilgrim journey. The way is long, beloved. We haven't reached our final rest. Amen. We see the beginnings of it in Christ. But we're not in heaven yet. We're not home yet. It's a long and winding road. So, while we're here, let us, let us walk confidently in His providence, cling to His promises, and take comfort in His presence. Amen? May the Lord bless His word to your hearts this morning.